Welcome to The Reframe. My name is Josiah Van Vliet. So a couple weeks ago, October 17th to be specific, uh, Vox, uh, The Weeds podcast, had a thing called um, The Republicans Run Everything and They're Mad as Hell. And they had a conversation about why the Republicans seem so angry about the way things are going, given how much power they actually have. And they seemed at a loss to describe what was going on with this anger that the Republicans seem to have. And they may not have been at a loss. They may not have wanted to get into what I'm going to get into. Uh, Those are very smart people. I, I hate to impugn their abilities, but they did seem like they were at a loss to me, which is why I'm putting this out. And so I'm going to start with a story after a caveat. Um, I understand that sometimes my uh, style can be a little off-putting as I just sort of bring stuff up and they seem like tangents or they seem like non sequiturs. Um, I promise if I have published it, they are relevant. And if I have not made why clear by the end of the podcast, then that's a failing. But you know, midstream, just try and hold on, stick with me. Um, once you get to the conclusion, you'll see why I brought it up. Because if, as I was saying to someone earlier, if I had heard anybody say what I've said, I wouldn't have published it. I would just point you at the thing that somebody else created. Um, so, but it is the nature of novelty to be off-putting and, uh, you know, combo breaking. So in light of tangents that don't seem to make sense on, on their first pass, I'm going to tell you a story. The story is about a man I know knew, who, who knows, uh, a man I knew who builds houses. And he was intimately familiar with what the square foot value of a new home was because he was a home builder. And he and I were speaking after the financial crisis hit in 2008 or 2009 or after, I don't recall. And he pointed out that throughout that entire crisis, he knew that it was a bubble and he knew that that was always going to collapse because he knew what the replacement cost was on a house. And he could build you a house a lot cheaper than they were selling. And yet they were selling for that price. And I don't know how he behaved during that time, but his intimate knowledge of the procedure for constructing a house and the real world reality of people buying and selling houses at the values that they were is important as I do this podcast. So what we're going to be talking about uh, is postmodernism, which is tricky for a lot of reasons, not least of which is that there are at least a million different things that someone might mean when they say postmodernism. It's um, a period of time. It's a movement in art. It's a movement in architecture. It's a movement in this and that. There's a million, million different definitions. So if somebody starts talking about postmodernism and they don't tell you which one they're talking about, they had better have given you enough context. Um, I am talking about specifically uh, the ideas from a French philosopher named something nearly like Beauregard. Now, Beauregard wrote about postmodernism specifically in America. And one of the things, and his basic notion is that in a postmodern environment, everyone is reacting to symbols or representations and not the things themselves. 
And when everyone's dealing with reproductions, uh, I won't use his language because I don't know it well enough and it'll probably just be confusing. When everybody's dealing with reproductions and not the thing those reproductions represent, um, you live in this sort of meta world, a world he called the hyper-reality. And there are a couple of examples for this um, to illustrate what a postmodern environment would look like. Um, the people who live in lounge chairs in Wally, they live in a postmodern existence. Everything they deal with, everything they care about is a reproduction of something else. So if there's something in their world that they that can't be reproduced, they probably don't know about it because it doesn't show up on their TVs. Um, the contemporary example is uh, an old co-worker of mine who you really had to work and draw his attention and bring it up again and draw his attention again before he realized, even in like real day-to-day life and day-to-day conversations, that the fights that he was in on Twitter were about the world. It didn't occur to him on a day-to-day basis that when he fought with people on Twitter that they might be fighting for something that actually happens, like a policy or money or hunger or violence or whatever. He was he, he existed in a completely reproduced world and reality sort of never touched the guy. One of the examples, and I believe this is from Beauregard's writing, is there was an interview with one of the men who went to the moon, which one uh, is, I'll leave as an exercise for the listener, who, when he was asked about his experience, one of the things that he said was that he felt like he had missed the moon landing because he wasn't on Earth to watch it on TV, but he had actually been there. He was one of like three people who could have possibly said, I had, I experienced the lunar landing. And what did he say? He said he felt like he missed it because he didn't see it reproduced. So really what we're talking about is like, we live uh, in the, in a, in a sense, in a world made entirely of memes, Um, memes in the original Dawkins sense, I think from 1976, when he coined the term where the only pieces of reality that we confront are the ones that happen in front of us on our devices. And that being true is a point of privilege. If you can live and think that nothing happens outside of Twitter, it's because you aren't hungry. It's because you aren't poor. It's because you aren't being, you aren't having violence suffered against you. So the story about house building. Housing prices happened in a representational way. They happened in a hyper-real way. They happened in a meta-real way. Because what people do, what people, the way that people establish prices is what people will pay for them. So when everybody's wrong, then the whole system goes crazy. And so the period of time before postmodernism is called modernism, which sucks because then if you say, oh, modern times, it's unclear what you mean in this context, which bothers me enormously. I will try and say contemporary when I mean now and modern when I mean 
you know, 1880 to 1946 or whatever it is that people consider the modern period. Modern concerns are sort of institutional industrial concerns, how to build a house, how to run a factory, how to make the trains run on time. Postmodern is anything that is reproducible. So we end up living in a bifurcated world where because all of the modern systems function so well, we don't need to worry about them. And in fact, couldn't handle them even if we, even if we were to concern ourselves with them. I only know how the industries I personally work in work. You ask me how my food gets made? I have no idea. You ask me where, how my house got built? That one I kind of know, but, you know, the, how the train runs? Not sure. Um, how I get water? I could read about it, I guess. But you can see how, like, we stand on the shoulders of giants, and the giants are so numerous and so mute that we have no idea. And then we live in this sort of chattering class existence where only those things that make it into these systems of reproduction that we immerse ourselves in, television, Twitter, social media, whatever, that it leaves us bifurcated. And this becomes particularly difficult when it comes to politics because politics concerns the modern world, right? It concerns how factories work, concerns about taxes, food production, War and peace, the whole bit. I mean, the real world depends on political leadership, but the political landscape is a postmodern landscape. There's no introduction of reality into it. And this is something that um, the Republicans have typically, in my opinion, have been better at for a long time. They have recognized that the messaging is reality in terms of political in terms of elections um that perception is reality up until a point and you can see this this is the parallel with the story about the house builder right there's a hyper real price setting process that itself is determined by modern or real processes of building maintenance building costs yada yada and they interact, but a lot of the steering, a lot of the cultural, governmental, institutional control that happens in our society happens at a postmodern level, and then has modern and modern implications. So it has hyper-real control of a set of real concerns. Um, so when we go to the polls as a country. We've, we vote as, as a postmodern culture. Most people have no idea what it would take and couldn't do it if you told them how to figure out what was actually going on in the world and who they should vote for based on the non-hyper-real actual governance questions. They wouldn't know how to get to the point where they voted, and even then they'd be voting for what is, in effect, a postmodern candidate, someone who has no reality to them. They have, their concerns are postmodern. 
you know, in order to get reelected, you have to be popular. And where does popularity happen? Popularity happens in images, happens in reproduced images. And so there's no way to be real and modern and popular in those dynamics because those dynamics don't affect people directly. They affect people indirectly. What I mean by that is, let's say a politician did something that had a real impact on the food that you eat. Chances are, especially if you're a low, low information voter, if you're just a regular person and your food prices go up or suddenly chicken isn't available or whatever, the way you're going to find out about that is through a postmodern reproductive symbol system that won't tell you what actually happened because the actual process isn't interesting enough to be reproduced. That's an important part about postmodernism and an important part about mimetics generally is that you have to think about all of the filters and all of the requirements that something has to be to be reproducible. There's a lot of stuff that just won't make it on TV. Why won't it make it on TV? Because it's boring or it's confusing or it's upsetting and no one can make money sent putting it on TV so they can't put it on TV. It can't be known by a postmodern culture because it can't make it into reproduction. So something like the minutia of um, food inspection dynamics, right? You almost can't find out about that through the normal processes that we do information exchange. The vast majority of information exchange we have is postmodern. There is modern information. There are real world institutional avenues of information finding, but they don't happen at a mass scale typically. And so the real reality filters up, but it filters up through this kaleidoscope of what can be reproduced, what will be reproduced. And this leads to other impacts where a lot of what people react to and a lot of what people engage with has no real impact, right? Like the the immigrant caravan. It's an entirely postmodern event. There's no modern event at all. There's no real, real, there's no there there. There's no real event. It's a postmodern event. It's a hyper real event. It gets talked about. And because it gets talked about, people take it seriously. Because people take it seriously, it might change policy. But did anything happen? Not really. And there's a ton of this. And it used to make me really crazy before I heard a lecture on Beauregard. And so this is, one of, this is one of the basic dynamics that we're faced with if you want to think about the culture that we're in. You're going to deal with hyper-reality. You're going to deal with people making decisions based on hyper-real things that have no substance at all. It happens all the time. And in an ideal world, you know, our governance system would have more connection to reality. And I think that a lot of our governance system probably does, but it's never talked about, right? Because we're talking about people underneath underneath cabinet chair positions who actually have real jobs. They talk about policy, they decide things, but no one ever talks about it. And, you know, some of the, and again, Vox, who I really, really like, um, you will get these little moments where they'll mention all of these 
modern, real things that they know that they don't talk about. And so the even the the wonkiest, most brutally causally oriented wonks I can find on the internet are still hyper real. And despite the fact that they're themselves hyper real, especially to me, um, they had this confusion, this inability to describe the Republicans' anger about how the world works, even though they run almost all of the government in its entirety. And this modern versus postmodern dynamic, I think, is what explains it. The Republicans live in a postmodern world, which they do not run. They run the modern world in a lot of ways, but they do not run the postmodern world. So when you're a Republican and you think whatever you think, you have the values you have, you do not see those values in the world that you live in on your device. You see that world. The, the, the world you see on your device is full of people with different values. But because people don't normally make the distinction between the postmodern and the modern, they don't see how clearly the two coexist as separate. They conflate the two. And it is upsetting to have your world include people saying things and taking actions that you violently disagree with. And this is where I think a lot of the tumult comes comes from for a lot of people is that there are people in your postmodern world who are being represented, who are who are memes, whose ideas have become memes that you're forced to confront. Do those things affect your day-to-day modern life, your real life? Maybe, but maybe not. And so when your postmodern world includes these upsetting things and your modern world does not include these upsetting things, as is the case with you know, a political actor like a, a Republican in power. It's galling to you that you got all this modern power and then didn't get any postmodern control. And so your world feels like it includes liberals and abortion clinics and whatever else no totally normal human thing that you find objectionable. And I think that's where the The Republicans are upset, and that's the thing that uh, the weeds folks couldn't say quite clearly. Although now that I've tried to say it again, they they said things that are very similar. That's the point about the postmodern, the modern that their podcast drove me to try and talk about, and to let you know that you live in two worlds, and um, one of them is hard to understand, and the other one doesn't make any sense. And uh, I'm trying to help, but it's very weird out here, and I apologize. Uh, anyway, I, I think that's enough for my like attempt to be a weekly podcast. Um, 
appreciate your time. I got some really positive feedback from uh, some good friends. Um, please share it. Um, if you find it good, show it to a friend, uh, like it, review it, whatever. Um, I would like to get enough momentum here that it's self-sustaining, that it feels like right. I, I, I need more mimetic encouragement. I need more reproductions of people liking my stuff. Um, the people actually liking my stuff and telling me in a human way that I can acknowledge as an animal is nice, but, uh, I'd also like to get, you know, followers or something. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, this has been the reframe. My name is still Josiah, uh, and I still appreciate your time. I'm going to put a bunch of the stuff in the show notes, God willing. Um, so you can actually like find out who the hell I'm talking about and how you spell it. Um, and, uh, thanks again.